Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Today's conversation will be over the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. And to listen to those readings, you can listen to the readings podcast that was dropped last night. The main emphasis for this conversation will be the gospel lesson, and that comes to us from St. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. And it's a big event. Three things happening, all connected. I want you I want all of you listening to know Pastor Wright and I have been struggling with this text for the past day or two trying to wrangle it trying to yeah. get it under control trying to understand uh what's happening and who is this Jesus that James and John are encountering and struggling with and and who is this Jesus that we're encountering huge huge questions uh, stuff that's that's hard for us. Yes. But uh, through this conversation, we're hoping to kind of uh, involve you in this almost discovery, right. I, I want to say, and this this exploration that's exciting. Um, I, I think this is this is not just like a nice, neat little teaching. No, not at all. Where it's like, all right, here's the doctrine, here's the correct thing. And believe in God. This is this is the nitty gritty. This is the the cool stuff here. Well, it's not only deep, but it is. What does this mean and how does this apply to my life? And I I really like the idea that this is directly connected to last week's podcast. Yes. Because we talked about table flipping Jesus as if it's a different Jesus. Yeah. And, And we get to choose which Jesus we're dealing with. And I think that's the error that James and John fall in. Yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, so before we dive any deeper, let's take a look. What's happening? What's going on? So there's three things taking place, and Vicar and I will go back and forth on this one. The first part I, I love. Yes. And again, and I've been saying this in my last couple of sermons, but even on the podcast, in my mind's eye, I, I really do have Jesus standing there. And he's very serious and trying to make sure that he's conveying real information, uh, heavy, serious but not in a dramatic way. Right. I want you to understand what's coming. I am going to die. And this is the third time he is predicting this. Third and last. Third and last. But now each time he gives a little bit more information. Yeah. And gives a little bit more gory detail. uh, The severity of which he is going to die. The last statement of this section is verse 34. And it is, and they will mock him, Jesus, and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then after three days, he will rise again. Now, again, these men have been traveling with him for three years. They know him. They've seen these miraculous things. They, they, they have an intimate relationship with him. Yeah. So this isn't just a frivolous thing that Jesus, oh, by the way, in a little while, I'm going to die. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to be spit mocked on. But I'll rise in three days. Moving on, we got to go over here. He really stops. Right. And he is, guys, this is what I have come to do. 
And this is what's going to happen. Well, I like to think, uh, you know, you mentioned every time it gets more and more detailed. I like to think that like as they get closer and closer to the event actually happening, the picture comes more and more into focus. Yeah. Like at first it's kind of just vague, like, hey guys, we're going to go. The chief piece are going to kill me. I'm going to rise in three days. The, that, is, that is a constant aspect yeah. of the resurrection. Yes. Every, every single time he mentions the rising in three days part two. And by the time we get to this last one, uh, he's like, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And like, like you said, those, those gory details, because uh, as, as they get closer and closer to the actual event happening, He's trying to give them a very, very clear, realistic picture of the suffering that's awaiting him at the end of his journey. Um, so this is kind of the, the first thing that happens in our reading, the first of our, our little three sections, as we said. Now, with that, though, big, huge bomb just dropped. Giant. And now verse 35 seems completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. So 35 uh after Jesus tells them this, uh, James and John, who are some of the, the really well-known, uh, I don't want to say higher-up disciples. The, but the they're, inner circle. Yeah, they're kind of the inner, they're kind of the inner circle here. Um, I mean, wasn't it Peter, James, and John who mm -hmm. were on the Transfiguration, which is just a chapter or so earlier in Mark? Uh, so they come to Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, which anyone that has kids knows that that is a dangerous <laughs> statement to just before the question is even asked, well, whatever we ask, you'll give it to us, right? And Jesus is like, all right, all right, let's see what, what you guys have to say. And uh, they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Okay, so, so what are they asking for here? What do they want? Um, I think this is a big thing, and we really have to deal with this before we can move on to the, the rest of the text. Right. With this, my first question, going back to our overarching issue, who do they see before them? And I think it's really interesting. Jesus just revealed Jesus. Yes. I am the Son of God who has come to die for your sins. It's going to take place this way, and in three days I'll rise again. And it is as if James and John said, good for you, Jesus, I have a request. Yeah, like totally ignoring what right. just happened. Uh, I think we've talked before about Peter, mm -hmm. his, his confession, and how he understood who Jesus was, but didn't understand what he was there to do. Right. Um, and and I, this, this seems a similar thing. Yeah. Jesus has just explained for the third time, this is what I'm here to do. And it seems to have just gone now, over their heads. And with that, I, I don't think it's frivolous. I don't think no. it's like, whatever, Jesus, I have something important to tell you. It, it is, I don't think they know how to deal with it. Just right. plain and simple. The hugeness of their teacher, their friend, the one they confess to be the Messiah. Right. You don't win by dying. So let's not deal with it. Let's talk about your glory. Let's talk about the end. Let's talk about the after. Well, and I don't know whether they're thinking glory as in some sort of like heavenly glory or like an earthly like kingdom glory, like Jesus has maybe like conquered mm -hmm. nations and that's what they're thinking. So I don't know. I'll take the approach, uh, two aspects. 
the Venerable Bede, I, I forget what century church father he is, but first of all, St. James and John are utilizing their relationship, their closeness with Jesus right. to make this request. Uh, Transfiguration, they'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane um, after. Well, John is the, the disciple who Jesus loved. Right. So there, there's an immediate connection, and so they feel comfortable. That's a good thing. And I, I like how they're willing to ask Jesus. Now, I don't think they understand fully what they're asking. In fact, right. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. For. Yeah. <laughs> but they're utilizing and taking advantage of their position. But now, what are they asking? They are asking for something that they don't comprehend. They will receive the gifts of life in Christ and so on and so forth. But this request is... And I'm going to go, my opinion, my thought, my, my rabbit hole, they really do see Jesus as the coming, conquering Messiah. Yeah. When you bring your kingdom, establish it, and we get to rule over these Romans, these people <laughs> who have oppressed us. Uh, they, they're called the sons of thunder because they are willing to be right there with Jesus. Oh, yeah. And, and willing to ask Jesus do you want us to bring fire and brimstone from heaven to destroy these town, these people who reject you? I think this is one of your favorite stories because you've brought it up to me I, multiple I, times. I, just the idea, the, the audacity <laughs> yeah. that they have. And, and but they, they do this really for good reason. Uh -huh. They think they're doing it for good reason. Right. They're protecting. They, these people, these towns insulted Jesus. They deserve what's coming to them. And that's, I think, one of the crazy things about James and John, and even about this request. They take Jesus seriously. And personally. They would not be asking this question if they didn't believe in him, right. if they didn't trust him. They, this is not a question of someone who's, who's doubting, mm -hmm. has bad faith, or any of this. And it's not even just a wish. Hey, yeah. Jesus, no. I wish you would do this. Like, the, to, be at, to ask to be seated at the right and left hand in his glory means they are anticipating this. They are looking forward to this. And he's the guy. They want to participate in this. What great things. And yet they miss how Christ is going to work, what kind of glory he's going to bring. They kind of just ignore that whole prediction he just made. Uh, again, the, the venerable Bede, I, I love his further statements. They're kind of looking for a shortcut. They want the glory. Mm. They want what's coming. They just don't want to go through what Jesus just said. Right. And, and this is something I, I really wrestle with. I don't know how they missed that. Right. Jesus made this statement. And, and like I, I said earlier, you know, it's not that they say, okay, whatever, Jesus, I, I have something to say. They just totally move on. They mm -hmm. don't deal with it. They're not ignoring it. They just don't deal with it. I think maybe they assume that's not the point. Maybe they, maybe they are even like, okay, I guess that's going to happen. But like after, after that, that's when we get a rule, right? That's when the glory comes, right? That's the point. That's the focus. Um, and I'm completely guessing, right? Yeah. you know, about their, what, what's going through their minds here. Uh, but just trying to, to think of a way that they can hear what he just said and how they can get from point A to point B here. Yeah. And I'm with you. I don't know. And to, to totally just move on from such a heavy statement and to make that request, 
you're missing who Jesus just revealed himself to be. Right. And you're asking for something that you will get. We're promised the resurrection in Christ. But the way you're asking for it, that's not the Jesus who stands before you. And I think that's fascinating. And that is an application that we'll discuss uh, a little bit later. What Jesus stands before us? And are we actually dealing with the Jesus who reveals himself in word and sacrament in the scriptures and so on? Yeah. Or do we make a false Jesus to follow and claim there he is? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. And I think to to start to tackle that, we have to look at how Jesus responded to James and John's request. Yeah. How did he respond to their misunderstanding? Now, with this, I again, it's so easy for us to throw the disciples under the bus. Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they see it? And I love how Jesus approaches them missing the boat. Yes. It's truly patient and teaching, and it helps us to realize we miss Jesus a lot. Mm -hmm. And thanks be to God, he continues to come, continues to reveal himself, and continues to bring us with him. And so I, I love how he answers. He simply says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And I love their answer. And I really do think that they think they're getting somewhere. Yeah. And they eagerly say, yes, of course, absolutely. If yeah, we, that, can, we can do that. Yeah, if that's what I need to do, you got it. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. You do not know what you're doing. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So we have the advantage of hindsight. Right. And we know exactly what Jesus is referring to. I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, take this cup away from me. Jesus is talking about being baptized into death. This is Paul talking mm -hmm. too. We know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about his suffering and his death. Well, that is what he's referring to when he talks about this cup, when he talks about this baptism. But I think, dare I even go here, he's talking also about participation in him, mm -hmm. with him here too. And he's saying, you will get what you're asking for actually. And that's a good thing, but you won't get it in the way that you think you will. Right. And um, while we were talking earlier, I, I wrote this note, uh, is really Jesus' suffering shows you your suffering. And it's the connection of that. It's uh, Romans uh, 6, we are baptized into his death. Yes. And because we're baptized into his death, we're baptized into his resurrection. This isn't an easy cut and dry, we die, we live. That's the life that Jesus has brought us into. And it is a life of suffering. It is not easy. There is friction. There are problems. There are issues because of our fallen, let it be creation, let it be body, let it be old Adam. We are messy. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. This has been what's been running through my mind all Lent, actually, is kind of what you said, that Jesus' suffering shows us our suffering. And the paradoxical truth that the glory of God is revealed in the suffering of Christ right. and that we as disciples, as followers of Christ, uh, suffer as well for his sake. And that suffering too can be for the glory of God. Now, this doesn't make sense. No. That, that doesn't seem right. And, and this is where I totally get and understand James and John. 
okay, Jesus, you got to die, but you're to rise again. Well, let's talk about the good stuff that comes after. Yes. We so quickly want to deal with cut and dry, easy, categorized, easy, understandable situations to the point that we will miss Jesus, miss God to make sure that we get what we want, how we want, when we want, where we want, why we want, very much like James and John. Well, what happens next is that uh, the disciples get wind of this. Yes. They hear that James and John are making these requests of Jesus, and it, it seems like they perceive it as them trying to get a leg up, like the Venerable Bede said, you know, trying to use their relationship uh, to, to get the seat of this advantageous seats basically at Jesus's right and their left. And so they kind of get upset about this, and they're giving, the, they're giving James and John uh, a hard time. And Jesus comes and he talks to them and he sh- tries to shift their perspective too. Now with that, that shift, he called them to him saying, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. This is hierarchy. This is everybody has a boss, an employee, employer. So the corporate ladder. Yeah. The, the hierarchies of life. And James and John seem to be trying to climb this ladder. Yep, and, get, a, get a promotion. <laughs> yeah, and the 10 don't like that. No. Why are you doing this? You're, you know, who do you think you are? I think of their conversations about who is the greatest. Right, I, I always come, love that. Come to mind. And Jesus addresses it head on. Yeah. You want authority, you want power, you want greatness. This isn't what you do. And for you to call James and John out, you are trying to exercise authority over them that's actually not yours. Right. They came to me, and, and I, I like this about Jesus. He's not wagging his finger at them and saying, you know, you, you've missed the point, you're, you're wrong, but showing them the community in which he has created and brought them into. And it's not that everybody has a level playing field, but what is the glory? What is the gift? It's not about promotion. It's not about a ladder. It's about what he is giving yes. and what he is delivering. Well, and they miss it. Well, he says greatness and glory do not come by climbing and forcing your way to the top. Greatness and glory comes at the bottom, mm-hmm. comes at service. And this is primarily shown through himself. He's talking about himself. He says, uh, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is Jesus, the top of any hierarchy. This is the the son of God, the Messiah. He is the top of the food chain. And he is saying, I didn't come to be served by everyone below me. I came to serve others. This is what greatness means. This is what glory means. This is the cross. This is that prediction that he gave right at the beginning. That everybody just totally yeah. missed. I came not to rule as a king in Jerusalem, but to suffer, be humiliated, mocked, and die. But Jesus, you don't win the war by dying. And that's the thing. Yep. You know, it is through defeat that he has victory over sin, death, and the devil. Um, it is through this paradoxical flip, takes the entire system and flips it on its head and says the glory of God is the suffering of Christ. Um, the glory of God is to serve, not to be served. And this is who he is. But then he takes who he is and he says, this changes you too. You too 
have your hierarchy, have yourself flipped on your head so that you too receive greatness and glory, not by reaching the top of the ladder, but by serving others. And I was talking to you about this the other day, and I mentioned truly serving them from below, not above. You know, I, I think sometimes when we think about serving others, we think I, from my position of power and authority, will help you who are lesser and less fortunate and less smart and capable than I, and I and all of my greatness will help you. That's I'll not fix it. That's not service. That's not what a servant does. That's serving from above. Right. But Christ is saying, serve from below. Don't lord over other people to quote unquote help them. Come down with them. Humble yourself and serve from below them, not above them. After all, this is who Christ is and what he does. Uh, Check out Philippians 2 for this whole conversation Paul has about the humiliation, the humbling of Christ. And um, I don't want to gloss over this huge point that who Christ is has an impact on who we are too. Yes, That's just, that's massive. Well, and this really becomes the focal point of this text. Who is Jesus? Who are we dealing with? And is this really the service that we live out? And this becomes really hard because what is it to serve others? And I'm quick to say it's a sacrificial life. Yeah. But again, that's an ambiguous term. Right. Like, what do you mean by that? Right. I, I, think, I think a lot of people have heard you say that before. Um, but yeah, what do you mean? So give until it hurts. Well, that's not right because now if I give all my time and energy to everybody but my family, now I've neglected the gift of my family. Right. Neighbors, which are just the people in your life, have been put into my life to serve and help. My closest neighbors are my family. Yeah. How do I sacrificially live for them? And this really does become individual. There are some uh, common applications that are, are there for everybody to love them as Christ loved them, to deal with them the way Christ deals with them. That's patiently. Look at what James and John ask, and you don't have Jesus saying, guys, you missed the boat. You're out of the group. You're voted off the island. Yeah. Bye-bye. No, he teaches and continues to bring them. And with the sacrificial life, it's a life of repentance. It's a life of contrition. It's a life lived out in the mercy of God. And this really does humble us because we realize we have no authority, power unto ourselves. And how dare we exert that? How dare we point to ourselves, let me do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I really like the idea of working below because that's, or, or serving from below, because that's coming next to the person in their situation. Right. Dealing with them where they are. And this isn't the the cliche, you know, meet them where they're at. Uh, I always have issues with that because it really does seem, oh, I found you. Let me come and fix it. Yeah. No, be there. That might not be a situation to fix. That just might be your presence, your connection, and lifting them up because of who and what you are in Christ. Yeah. Or who and what they are in Christ. And this becomes the communal language. And this becomes the, the gift language, the idea that we are, are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ who live together. 
in, as we were talking before the recording, the messiness of God's work. Yeah. And I really like how you said that because I really, really want to challenge that because mm-hmm. God's not messy. God's clean, easy, uh, categorized because he's perfect. We're the messy ones. And it really is the opposite in the sense that, no, it's pretty clear what I am. I'm a sinner. Yeah. That, that's clean cut, 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 and, yeah, cut yeah. and dry. God in his mercy. That, that's too big for me to deal with. It's his grace that makes it messy. Yes. It's his grace that throws the whole system, you know, up and turns it on its head. Because I'm not getting, everything. yeah, I'm not getting what I deserve. Yeah. And I'm getting the very thing that I can't earn. Yes. And he keeps giving it to me. Yes, that's grace. And that's the, the hugeness of the gospel. And yes, I do think that's messy. Yes. Uh, both in our lives, um, but also in like what God's doing for us. And I think that's, that's cool because it's for our benefit. Um, which is ultimately what Christ's sacrifice is about. It's, it's for our benefit. And I like what you were saying earlier about how uh, what Christ has done kind of changes our perspective on who, how, who other people are because now our neighbors are people for whom Christ has died, who Christ valued so much that he gave up his life. That's going to change how I treat that person. And I am that as well. Um, so I don't see them as someone lesser than me, but someone equal to or even greater than me. And that's, I think, the sacrificial service that you were talking about. And when we approach it, you know, that way, your creativity is your limit here, right. how you can help and serve people. And we do this all because of and in the name of Christ, because uh, it's him who flips us on our head. Uh, it's him who changes all of this. It's him who gives us that grace and that mercy and changes who we are and also promises to change all the people around us too. And this is a very uncomfortable situation. Very. Because we're not in control. Mm -hmm. And not only are we not in control, we can't fully understand the implications of God's work in our life, in the work of others' lives, in the work of the church. Now, this doesn't mean, oh, it's so big, I won't deal with it. No, it means that we live in this, in trust and faith, relying on his mercy, his will, his grace, to do what he wants in and through us. And that's the participation aspect. Right. We're not robots. We're not uh, automatons uh, getting marching orders on Sunday and going out and doing this. No, we live in service next to our family, our friends, those who we work with, so on and so forth. And and again, I like what you said. Our creativity, our imagination now becomes what limits us. And why do we put arbitrary things, obstacles in our ways? Because we're uncomfortable. Yeah. Because we have to do something. Because that's what we're called to do. And we know as Christians, as baptized members, as faithful servants of the Most High, we know what we're called to do. And it's outside of our comfort safe zone because it's outside of what our sinful nature wants to do. The self, the selfish protection of what I am and what I want. See, and that takes me back to our question at the beginning. What Jesus stands before you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes it's not the Jesus that should be. Sometimes like James and uh, John, we're seeing someone who isn't really there. Uh, we're seeing what we want to see instead of who Jesus is. Because I think when we see the real Jesus in front of us, it's uncomfortable. 
and it's messy, but it's life-changing. Always. And that is the very gift that he gives to us through this text and as we travel through this Lenten tide all the way to Easter and the glorious resurrection and the celebration of life everlasting. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.